Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here from Somewhere in the Skies, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is the first time we're having today's guest on the show, so I am very excited. I've been a huge fan of his work for a very long time. We have worked together, actually, on a book of essays, UFOs Reframing the Debate. Two of our essays were featured in this wonderful, wonderful book of... um all different essays, all about UFOs and the different ways to approach it. And uh, that is definitely something we are going to touch on today with our guest. And we're also going to touch on all of the current stuff going on in the UFO world and how things have changed from just a few years back. And um, whether it's an evolution or a devolution, we will leave that up to our guest and I to to debate about (laughs) But it's going to be super fun. We're going to have fun. If you haven't noticed, a lot of our shows lately, we've been going back to the roots of Somewhere in the Skies, you know, talking about the experiencers and uh, the different thoughts and theories and opinions on what UFOs could be and um, kind of moving a little away from a lot of the the current government-esque UFO talk. But I want to return to having fun conversations here at Somewhere in the Skies. So... Without further ado, let's bring him in for the very first time. We have Red Pill Junkie. What is going on, man? Hola. Uh, thanks for having me. We've been we've known each other for how many years by now, Ryan? And, and yeah, it's finally uh, <laughs> about time I, you have me. <laughs> I know. I know, man. Hey, if it's of any consolation, I still haven't had Greg Bishop as a main guest Uh even Paul Kimball. Mm. So I've got a lot of making up to do with the UFO community, the people who really got me invigorated and inspired. Um, so I think I'm starting with you, my man. You're bringing me back into the okay. reason I got into ufology. And, in, and that's to have interesting conversations about all of it, what it all could mean, um, some of the more profound questions that come with this topic. Um, like I said, and kind of move away from this stuffy kind of government chatter that's been going on for the past few years. Um, so that's kind of where I want to start with you, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you make of, and this is kind of a, a, a big place to start, but what do you make 
of ufology today in 2023. You know, just before 2017 is when our book came out and when we really tried to shake things up. It was stuffy and nothing had changed for a long time. Um, and then, boom, this New York Times article comes out and it seems that everything changed. So where do you stand today in 2023 when it comes to uh, the evolution or like I mentioned earlier, the de-evolution of ufology, I guess? It's a great question. Uh, I will think I'll have to uh, disagree a little bit uh, with your stance that nothing was, was changing in ufology by the time that uh, that book, Reframing the Debate, was published. Because I personally feel that by that time, uh, certain people within the field of ufology were starting to be more open and starting to entertain uh, the idea that uh, it was important to pay attention to the witnesses, mm -hmm. uh, to their inner state of mind, to the transformational aspect that their experience had on them on a long-term basis, like uh, did their encounter change their perspective about God? Did, there, did it change their spirituality? Did, did it have any effect on their relationships, on their, on their job situation, their careers? Things like that. Things that, uh, you know, groups like MUFON, who were like more interested only on the details, the technical details of their observations, just the facts, man, you know, what, how big was the object, what shape it was, you know, uh, right. did it have lights or not? Were were any kind of like marks on the ground? So, I think that by then ufology was starting to pay more attention to the witnesses and also open to the idea that consciousness has something to do, a very a very important thing to do with the phenomenon itself in ways that we are still not equipped to answer. Because if you ask people what is consciousness. They will give you a, a thousand different explanations. The way it's the same way that maybe they'll give you a, a thousand different explanations of what the soul is or something like that. But uh, this is something that I think some people in the field were starting to say. You know, UFOs seems to be seem to be connected to the witnesses in some capacity. You know, the co-creation aspect that our friend Greg Bishop has written about. And I think that then, with the New York Times article in 2017, uh, we were back to square one, back to the idea of the 1950s. And even people in, in, in Ufoli were, were trying to like erase a whole chunk of history, like saying, well, let's forget about encounters with UFOnauts, let's forget about, you know, abduction, let's forget about close encounters of the third kind, fourth kind, whatever. Yeah, let's just stick to uh, tracking some radar, the testimony of, of pilots who, for some reason or other, seem to be, uh, or, or seem to be more reliable in, in, in some circles, the testimony of pilots than the 
testimony of, I don't know, farmers or the testimony of school teachers. Let's stick to the testimony of the pilots. Let's stick to the, to the military observations. And what are UFOs? Where do they come from? Well, who knows? But it's, uh, let's remember that it's a military threat. Uh, and, and by the way, we can no longer call them UFOs. We have to use uh, the appropriate uh, acronym. You know, the now official acronym is UAP, which keeps changing, by the way, because we, uh, before it was unidentified aerial phenomena, and now it's unidentified anomalous phenomena, which is interesting. So if I see a Bigfoot in the forest, <laughs> is that a UAP? Are they going to go and, and shoot it down? <laughs> Like a Chinese balloon, <laughs> a poor Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster, you know, pops up his head on the log. Oh my God, you know, sending the missiles. Uh, <laughs> I'm making fun of this because, uh, first of all, guys, if you don't have a healthy sense of humor when you're dealing with the UFO phenomenon, you're, you're going to have a miserable time. You know, mm -hmm. it's something that is paramount. Take this in a lighthearted matter. Uh, we also with a, with a you know a grain of salt, but but don't take yourself and your beliefs about the UFO so seriously. It's my you know humble recommendation. Absolutely, man, and I think that's kind of what's missing in today's ufology or the discourse. Let's say on quote unquote UFO Twitter, it's um it's not fun. Everyone takes it so seriously. And um and argue. It's not even a debate anymore. It's just arguing. And look, mm -hmm. that goes for any community, any um, you know, field of study. Like this happens everywhere. But I think what we're seeing now is like I said, everyone's taking it so seriously because of that national security threat mm -hmm. angle. So it's like, you know, we can't yes. laugh about this because it's dangerous. It's 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 gonna harm us. Uh, when in reality, like you look at the history of UFOs and how many UFOs is, have actually harmed individuals, at least physically, maybe psychologically, <laughs> you know, and whatnot. But right. yeah, I, I think we right. um, we're missing that absurd, tricksterish, tricksterish, fun nature to it all. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think that's kind of what's missing. So um, thank you. I, I'm glad we could touch on kind of the current state of ufology. And I do want to circle back to that because I think your essay actually um, has a lot to do with that in terms of the structure of what we see today and how we need to break that. Uh, but let's rewind mm -hmm. a little bit for, uh, for any of my viewers and listeners who may not be familiar with you. Uh, would you mind telling us the origin story? Red Pill Junkie. Like, how did you, first of all, where'd the name come from? And second of all, how did you first get interested in UFOs? Uh, the, the, the comic book origin story. Okay. Uh, well, there, there's two different questions. Uh, obviously, I became interested in UFOs way before, you know, the internet and way before I chose the, the silly moniker, which, by the way, uh, had a totally different uh, meaning when I decided to choose it. Uh, you know, uh, when I went to college, I, I read a lot of Carlos Castaneda, uh, the teachings of Don Juan, Journey to Exlam, books I highly recommend, despite the fact that there's a lot of controversy with, with, with Carlos, which we don't get into that 
this is not the time or the place to go into into that discussion. But when then when I saw the first Matrix movie, it was you know like uh, a real like punch in the face. So it was so impactful. Uh, like I got it. Like I saw the like uh, Morpheus, the, the character that is the mentor to Neo, was like uh, Don Juan. This Jackie Shaman that supposedly was the the teacher of Carlos who became like a sorcerer's apprentice in the 1960s. And that idea, also the idea by the end of the movie, a spoiler alert, when Neo finally sees the Matrix for what it really is, it's something that also is shown not only in Castaneda's books, but in you know pretty much all the mystical books about people when they kind of like lift the veil of reality and they, they see the universe for what it really is, which is nothing but, you know, energy fields vibrating of different, you know, uh, densities and being human beings, being as, as, as glowing eggs, you know, like, like a cluster of, of, of that energy that is sentient. So that is the reason why I chose the, the nickname Red Pill Junkie, which was kind of like self-deprecating, you know, also, an, also a reminder of not taking myself seriously, but also to remind me how, you know, uh, unlike in the movie when you only have to take the red pill once and you are instantly transformed, when you look into the UFO phenomenon, it's like, you know, you are constantly searching for those red pills that are going to change your perspective and can to briefly open your eyes uh, into the nature of reality. The Matrix is one of the movies that I choose to call Gnostic, like the Gnosticism is very is very important in my life. The idea that the world is not what we think it is. Well, in the movie, it is a prison, and to the Gnostics, it was also kind of like a, some kind of like a, a prison for the soul. But even if you, if you don't take that negative connotation, that we can I, I think we can all agree that reality is something much larger than we what our feeble senses can can detect i mean our senses were created over millions or billions of years of evolution and only to to keep us alive you know only to like detect threats uh able to uh chase down uh food to to be able to survive uh, natural catastrophes whatever but they're not really equipped to actually show us what the world really is like and and sometimes you can do that uh either through meditation practices or also through you know like in this uh t-shirt that i chose to wear today the use of entheogens like this one for example is inspired it, this is the uh, witch all art the witch all is is a is a uh, native native group in mexico that use peyote or hikuri, as they call it, in order like to break the doors of perception, like uh, William Blake said. So that is what the, the Red Bill Junkie was at the time, the, the nickname that I chose way before those assholes, you know, the right-wingers and now the, the male right proponents and started to distort uh, the term. And now 
when someone says, oh, that guy got red pilled, I always cringe and die a little bit inside because that's not that's not what I meant. And it's definitely not what uh, the Wachowski sisters, you know, the original creators of, of, of the Matrix, which are, who are uh, trans women, there's definitely not what they meant when they created the term red pill, you know. So I'm, I'm going with the OG term. Red pill is something that is not meant to, like, uh, fight of the right-wing rights. It's about changing your perspective of reality. Now, going with your second question, you know, how I got interested in, 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 in all this stuff. I was born in 1973. And yes, I take pride in, in, in the fact that I was born in the year of the humanoids. <laughs> you know, this is something that we, nice. we learn when we, we get into the, uh, the UFO history. A lot of really interesting uh, close encounters happened in that year. Pascagoula, for example, uh, happened in October of 1973. I was born in October of 1973. So it's oh, one wow. of the reasons why it's one of my favorite cases. Uh, so get, uh, having been born in the, in the early 1970s and, uh, you know, growing up in the 1980s, I was exposed to Steven Spielberg movies, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, E.T., the extraterrestrial, of course, you know. Uh, there were a lot of really good and really uh, influential UFO-inspired uh, movies in that era, and I think that really got me, like, wonderstruck, looking into the night sky, you know, whatever few stars one can watch uh, in Mexico City night skies and wonder, you know, about... You know, is there really any anybody out there? Uh, also, I have to admit that in the 1980s, uh, here in Mexico, we have we have uh, like the Mexican version of the uh, of the TV show 60 Minutes. They have something like that here, and there was a young reporter who was one of the contributors or the investigators in that in that uh, program by the name of Jaime Maussan. I don't know if, you, if the name rings a bell with you. Mm -hmm. I'm joking here. Uh, but Mausan, in that show, he made a reportage about uh, Edward Billy Meyer, you know, the Swiss contactee who in the 1970s and the 1980s really uh, made a splash with these uh, pictures of what they looked like, you know, silver saucers with a very bucolic... Uh, uh, pastoral landscape of the of the of the Swiss Alps, you know, so the green mountains, and you have that con contrast of the gleaming, impossible-looking saucer, really had an impact in, in in my young impressionable mind. Obviously, you know, with age, I came to understand that those uh, photos are very questionable. We don't get into the details of why or if if Meyer is is only a hoaxer or maybe he actually had a, a few genuine experiences and then he was kind of like trying to keep it going, keep the role going with the hoaxes, which is something that is very common. But like 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 I said, it's another story. But that's one of the things that have really got me, you know, really hooked at an early age. And that, that fascination with the phenomenon persisted all the way to the 1990s, 
1999, 1991, we had uh, a total solar eclipse here in Mexico, July 11, I want to say. We had, during six minutes, we had a, a total solar eclipse that, that was visible in Mexico City and other parts of, 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 of uh, central Mexico. And as you know, some people observed something during, during that eclipse that uh, was even uh, filmed on, on videotape. Something that actually looks like a, like a gleaming uh, object that was hovering over Mexico City. And that was, you know, something that became instant news. And I think that it also became news worldwide. And because of that, Jaime Maussan was being asked as a guest on TV, in, on TV programs on a, you know, regular basis. And I was, you know, watching all those shows, you know, instantly hooked, trying to see what else was going on because apparently it was the beginning of a really active wave of UFO activity that happened on Mexico in the, in the early 1990s. And that is the reason why, you know, I kept, uh, watching the, the, the news here in Mexico. And at the same time, when the internet became uh, available, I used the internet when I was going to college to try to gather more information uh, from uh, news groups, uh, email groups, chat groups, to try to learn more about what was in bulk back then, you know, Roswell. Roswell became very big in the 1990s. Area 51 and Bob Lazar and, and, and the Gulf Breeze sightings and all that jazz, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, kept, kept my fire going. So it's, it's my interest in UFOs has never diminished. It's just going from ups and downs because, you know, as all, as everybody, you begin to become focused on your career, uh, job, relationships, whatever. But my interest in UFOs has always been part part of my life. It never been like, oh yeah, you know, I got over it and then I I returned. No, it's it's been always there. It's always there, man. Somehow, some way, I know that feeling. Um, unless you're willing to give up your job, your your relationships, and and any sense of an actual yeah. free life. Um, this topic will consume you. And and look, I was the same way. I, I I can only imagine like the mid 90s, you and I probably were in like the same chat forums and had no idea who each other were back then. But I have no doubt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we probably crossed paths digitally back then. You, me, and a lot of the other um researchers out there. So that's cool. I, I love to see, you know, I love hearing how people got interested. Some people it's just a fascination. Some it's a sighting or an experience. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I also remember, you know, in the United States growing up and seeing all these specials on TV, whether it was sightings or, or Fox or, um, you know, of the, the best UFO videos of the year. And there were right. only so many from Mexico and uh, specifically Mexico yeah. city. And I just mm-hmm. remember, always asking my parents, like, can we go to Mexico? Please, please. I want to see a UFO. And, oh, man, those are the days. I, I miss those days for sure. <laughs> right, yeah. There, there was a time when uh, a cousin of mine and I 
wanted to become part of Maussan's uh, group of UFO hunters. You know, they called themselves Los Vigilantes, you know, like the, the watchers. And I mean, these were people who were spending uh, like eight hours or more on their rooftops with a video camera, just waiting, waiting to see something. And yeah, you know, some of, some of the time they actually managed to film a few interesting things. I'm not saying, oh, well, all, all those were UFOs. I'm sure there were a lot which, which ended up being mylar balloons or flares or whatever, but that kind of like persistence paid off. I remember, and this is something that I wrote about for Mysterious Universe back when I was uh, one of the writers, uh, an experience I had back in those days, which was a really good learning experience. I went to a UFO conference here in Mexico, a small one, you know, like uh, someone hired the hall, you know, or, or something, and there were a few speakers And there was a guy in the audience who I, I knew because I had seen him in a few UFO-related uh, uh, TV shows who claimed to be a contactee. And, you know, so he asked for the microphone and he says, you know, I've been allowed to say that there is going to be a massive, a massive sighting of flying saucers over Mexico City on the eve of New Year's. Uh, what year, I think it was 1993 or 1992. And he says, and this will be the dawn of a new era and the beginning of open contact with our space brothers and la, la, la. And I was like, oh my God, this is my chance. This is finally my chance. I'm going to go and see something. So obviously what did Miguel do? He spent all that night of New Year's Eve freezing my ass off Uh, you know, sitting on the rooftop of my uncle Fernando's house while the rest of my family were having a party and having a great time and eating dinner and all. And I was there just, you know, hopefully, you know, waiting, you know, expectantly saying, you know, this is it, tonight, tonight's the night. And obviously, I didn't see a goddamn thing. <laughs> So I, I say that it was a good experience because it opened my eyes. It opened and made me realize there's a lot of charlatans out there and there's the, the UFO phenomenon is plagued with all these fake uh, prophecies, you know, prophecies that don't come true. Sometimes after uh, predictions were made and actually did come true. So it's a, like you said, it's the trickster nature of this phenomenon that is toying with us, like saying, hey, here's the carrot, you know, following the carrot. I mean, it's dangling the carrot so we can, you know, keep like pulling the cart for whatever reason, we don't know. You know, maybe it's a Jacques Vallée uh, control system theory, you know, the cultural thermostat, or maybe it's just, uh, you know, so they get a kick out of it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, pure amusement, Maybe they man. feed off our, our fears or for, for pure amusement. Yeah, you know, the, the reason why the elves lo love to go and trick people because, you know, they, they, they enjoy it, you know. They, they make yeah. fun of us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yes, they're not laughing with us. They're laughing at us, Mika, yes. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. Let's, that's awesome. Uh, let's fast forward to... Mm -hmm. uh, 
UFOs Reframing the Debate. Uh, this book came out in um, early 2017, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, yes. Yeah, I like so, right yeah. before. Yeah, right before the big story hit in the New York Times. Crazy, mm-hmm. crazy how that worked out. Um, so how did that come to be? How did, what inspired you to write Anarchy in the UFO? And uh, how'd you get hooked up with Robbie Graham and, and, and the editors and everyone over there at UFOs Reframing the Debate? Uh, so I think it was in 2010 when I became uh, involved with this uh, new site, the Daily Grail, www.dailygrail.com. Greg Taylor, the owner, asked me to become one of his news administrators. And at at first, I was very hesitant to do it. Like, my God, I don't even speak English. I'm Mexican. I'm going to be terrible at it. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to find news or whatever and he said no 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 you'll be you'll be great think about it uh i did and at the end i decided to yeah go go for it one of one of the best decisions i ever made in my life uh because the daily grail has given me so much it was no social media it gave me access to this community of people who were interested in the same crazy stuff as I was, you know, stuff that I couldn't even talk to, you know, friends over here or my family. Uh, so all of a sudden I had access to this uh, group of like-minded people and that group became larger and larger beyond the, 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 the confines of the Daily Grail community. Like one of the people uh, who I got involved with, thanks to the Grail, was Robbie Graham. I don't remember how exactly I, I found Robbie Graham's blog, Silver Screen Saucers. Maybe it was because one of my other common friends, maybe Greg, Greg Bishop or Micah Hanks, one of them probably linked to Robbie and saying, hey, look, you know, this guy is doing something really cool, like analyzing uh Hollywood movies that have some kind of like alien of UFO theme and trying to, you know, like deconstruct the narrative of those uh movies and compare it with actual uh UFO history, you know, and seeing how uh you ufology and Hollywood keep like cross-pollinating and, 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 and influencing each other in a really interesting way uh, that goes beyond the idea of just Hollywood writers paying attention to, to you know, the UFO phenomenon. And because of that, I started to correspond with Robbie, you know, via, via email. He asked me at one point to contribute with a few guest articles for his uh, blog. And I wrote about this really cool Spanish movie that I highly recommend called Platillos Volantes, which is about these guys in the in Spain in the 1970s. And this is based on an actual real case. These two uh, men 
committed suicide in the most horrific manner. Like they uh, uh, la lay, lay down on the track of a, of a you know train, and they let the train decapitate them. And the reason that the story became famous is because uh, they found a letter in the pocket, the breast pocket of one of these men who were wearing, you know, uh, formal suits. And they were saying, you know, like, the Space Brothers are beckoning us, we belong to the stars, or something like that. So I, I really wanted to write something about this this movie, that which is really cool, and unfortunately, I don't think it's uh, known in English-speaking countries. And I wrote a, a few other articles, and because of that, and because also I, I was trying back, back in those days to, <laughs> like... Uh, make Robbie come into our fold of excluded middlers or people who were no longer interested in the nuts and bolts or ET angle of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, I, re I remember Robbie back then was full-on nuts and bolts or full-on uh, believer in disclosure. He even uh, acquiesced me or, or convinced me to, to participate in that, uh, I don't know if you remember that uh, open online uh, petition that, that that was open in, in Obama's administration in the White House. Yes, yeah. That will, you know, gathering signatures uh, to, to ask the Obama administration to come clean about what they knew about uh, UFOs. This is something that was... Uh, organized by uh what's the name of this guy the, uh the, was it steve bassett the steve bassett yeah yeah the problem with that petition it was sorry but it was so poorly poorly written like <laughs> we want to know what the government knows about extraterrestrial visitation so okay you are already assuming that UFOs are extraterrestrials, so strike right. right there, you know? And no, number two, that you think that the government knows all about, you know, said, said activity. And because he had gathered so, so many signatures, over 5,000, the White House was forced to actually, you know, uh, say something. But they came up with, you know, the usual bland BS. Now oh, we don't know anything about that. We we're not we're not investigating UFO activity. Case closed. And the only thing that came out of that is that the next petitions had to go over that threshold. That you know, from now on, is going to be uh, over five thousand signatures. You know, thanks to the UFO weirdos. You know, <laughs> that managed to gather. You know, and managed to get us embarrassed with with, with this. So anyway, getting back to Robbie, I guess that's the reason why Robbie, when he came up with the idea of writing or editing this anthology of different essays about UFOs, he invited me and he invited all of our common friends, you know, Greg Bishop, you, Joshua Couching, uh, Susan Demeter, Jack Brewer, he, because he, and this is something that I really applaud about this book, it gathers so many different opinions about UFOs from the um, from the borderline skeptic, like you know, this is most of this is a one of nonsense, to the people who are in the really nuts and bolts, you know, 
only science can can investigate UFOs camp to more people were who were dabbling with the what we will call the love and light aspect of the phenomenon. Mike Leland, right? Mike Leland is proud to say he's not a UFO investigator. He's not a scientist. He's only interested in delving with, you know, how the phenomenon has affected people like him, you know, with his experience Mm -hmm. and how, you know, it goes beyond the idea of, you know, little scientists coming to this planet on metal craft to perform experiments. Yeah, okay, so how do you explain that with, you know, the shamanic-like experiences that Mike and others have had with owls that are strongly strongly related to UFOs, you know? Anyway, I... When I uh, when I first uh, was proposed this, I say, okay, you know, now here's my chance. I've never, I had never written anything. I've never written a book, and this is something you know that, Ryan. You spend a, a few years in the UFO phenomenon. People always say, okay, so when are you going to write a book? Because yeah. you don't become a real ufologist unless you have your name. Of course, of, of course, right? That's the <laughs> that's the rite of passage. You know? Yeah. Like Peter Robbins says, you know, you 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 clap, you you you, you click your heels, you touch yep. your nose, you go a trail. You are a ufologist. Done. Welcome <laughs> to the brotherhood. Uh, Google gobble. Say, one of us. One of us. Exactly. So I said, okay, let's 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 do this. Let's write. Let's write an essay. And I thought about it. What can I say? What can I say? And I came to this conclusion I, I, after reading a lot of McKenna and after, you know, Ballet and John Keel, I said, well, the one underlying factor about UFOs that nobody seemed to, to pay attention to is the anarchical nature of the UFO phenomenon, the, the, how it, it is so anti-establishment in its, in its nature, in, in the way it behaves, in the way it affects society, which is all the more uh, ironic because now what everybody is asking is that the establishment pays attention, pay attention to the UFO phenomenon. And not only that, to so- we are asking the government and the establishment to solve the UFO problem for us. You know, right. so you're asking the more square people, people, the more bureaucratic, the more red tape uh, conscious people in the world to go and tackle something that is doesn't give a fuck about red tape, about rules, bureaucracy, you know, uh, memos, uh, uh, need to know, you know, the, the UFO does, does not respect any borders. The UFO does, does not respect any rules. It doesn't respect the rule of gravity. You know, the law of gravity is something that the UFO phenomenon mocks. And this is something that people like Terence McKenna said before us. There is a wonderful uh, speech he gave at the Angels and Aliens conference. I think it happened in the 1980s. And I quoted that uh, speech for my my essay. You can find it on YouTube, by the way. And he says that, you know, the UFO phenomenon is kind of like the assertion of the goddess manifesting into our world 
to say to to say to you know like the the academicians and like the the priests of science hold on you've gone far enough with your little ideas and your little models of the universe that you think are so cute and that are so precious and we're just gonna come here and we're gonna uh, grab your little models and we're gonna tear it to pieces in front of your eyes and we're gonna go and show that your science is nothing more than a sort of little limiting rules that are only useful to create toys for the rich, you know? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, you know? <laughs> this, is, this is the kind of stuff that, that, that maybe one of the reasons why I love the UFO phenomenon so much is because deep down I'm also an anarchist. And I think that people who are interested in UFOs have a deep uh, iconoclastic, anti-structural, anti-hierarchical attitude. You know, and, and which is why when I see ufologists who think they, they, their one goal in life will be to, like, be part of the system and, and, and be respected by the system, you know, be, be welcomed by the mainstream, is like, no, that's not our role. We're outsiders. And we, we need to remain in the outside in order to keep attacking society well attacking uh the the stupidity of society the, st the stupidity of of of, of uh, societal ideas ideas that need to be attacked you know always you know you have to look into into a society and and if you know where are, where the society is festering because when you see that there are topics that you're not even allowed to, to touch upon. One example I can give is uh, Graham Hancock in his recently uh, released TV series, well, Netflix series, uh, Ancient Apocalypse. There were some people who went and attacked him and said, this is the, the most dangerous TV show right now. It's like, really? A TV show that is not even about, I don't know, pornography or about... <laughs> right. I don't know, like, uh, you know, horrible politics or, or about, you know, whatever you think, you know, like, oh, death metal whatever, or drugs or something violent, something that is corrupting uh, uh, children's minds. No, it's about archaeology and about, uh, you know, proposing that, well, maybe there was a cometary impact that, that, that ended a, a highly advanced uh, civilizations 15,000 years ago or oh, now the, 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 the most the most dangerous idea ever like give me a break is and it's not like uh, Graham Hancock is 100% right about everything obviously he's not and I actually also will criticize the attitude he's taking today in which he's always going after the the archaeologists and, and painting them as the baddies or the villains in the story. I don't think that's the right approach to do, but at the same time, I understand that after decades of being constantly attacked, constantly undermined, constantly ridiculed, the guy is finally trying to make a victory lap after some of the ideas he's proposing is starting to get a certain 
validation, you know, the discovery mm -hmm. of Gobekli Tepe, uh, starting to get more and more evidence of this cometary impact 15,000 years ago that might have ended the Younger Dryas uh, Ice Age, you know, things like that. So getting back to U UFOs, UFOs was also a, a, a forbidden, a verboten topic not, not too long ago. Let's remember what happened with James McDonald. James McDonald, this uh, um, meteorologist that in the 1960s got interested in the UFO phenomenon, went and requested to, to, to see the, the Blue Book uh, Air Force files and UFOs. And because of that, he learned about what happened with Robertson panel in the 1952, you know, when the Robertson panel decided, well, UFOs are dangerous because they distract people and they uh, obfuscate uh, the ability of the, the government to respond to actual threats. So let's let's better re-educate people into, into thinking that UFOs are nonsense. And, and McDonald went and uh, went after the Air Force, went after also Allen Hynek, because Hynek knew about Robert, the Robertson panel, but decided to keep quiet in order not to compromise his uh, insider position. Because so he wouldn't be, so he wouldn't cut off from like the source of information. And and because of his interest in in, in, in UFOs, he got attacked by people like. Uh, uh, was the name of this uh, uh, skeptic? Uh, no, the other one, uh, <laughs> our our devil in the tarot card. Uh, it starts with a K. His last name. Oh, oh, uh, oh, gosh! <laughs> it's escaping too. How, how is this happening? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he was yeah. attacked by skeptics. Class. class. Philip Class, right? Thank Ooh, you. We did it. And, we did and, and because of that, and because of that, he his his life got ruined in every possible sense. You know, he got kicked out of his job, his marriage got ruined, and and he ended he ended up killing himself. You know, that's the reason why we chose. Uh, by the way, we chose uh, McDonald to be our handman in the, in the tarot cards, you know, because he was, you know, he was in, 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 in a lot of ways, he was a martyr for the UFO cause. Nowadays, you don't, you don't see that, but still you, you, you can get into a lot of, uh, trouble within certain circles. If you openly talk about UFOs, particularly the topics about UFOs that nobody wants to pay attention, even, even, even people who believe in UFOs are uncomfortable when you talk about, you know, abductions or where you talk about maybe the relationship between UFOs and consciousness, a relationship between UFOs. This is something that people uh, who are in the nuts and bolts camp, they don't want to hear about that. They only want to hear about uh, radar returns and, and, and infrared videos and the testimony of pilots and maybe the metamaterials and whatnot. But you start to think, uh, you start to say like, yeah, you know, someone had a UFO experience and after that they became psychic. <laughs> let's not go that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's so many avenues we could go down, Miguel. Um, but you brought up a word that keeps sticking out to me when it comes to anarchy, and that's chaos. Mm -hmm. 
you know, kind of what um, needs to happen in order for anarchy to uh, thrive, to survive, to uh, succeed even. And uh, you bring, you brought up in the essay, this idea that UFO sightings, anomalous experiences, paranormal uh, poltergeists to be specific, uh, often happen in chaotic moments, uh, you know, in someone's life or, uh, uh, in in times of turmoil, and that's when you see a lot of activity happening with the UFO phenomenon. So I guess my question for you would be, in terms of the essay, Anarchy and the UFO, and this idea of uh, turmoil, whether external or internal, uh, what does that mean to you? Why do you think that is that a lot of this stuff seems to conjure itself up in, in great times of turmoil or 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 even chaos, I guess, if that's what I'm, if I'm kind of interpreting what you were writing. Right. Correct. Yeah. Well, it remains an open question to me whether the UFO phenomenon comes from outside of us or comes from inside of us. And obviously to a mystic, that question becomes irrelevant. You know, a mystic comes to the realization, well, there is no inside and there is no outside. It just is everything. Everything is interrelated with everything else. Uh, but I don't think we're paying enough attention to the power of the human mind and the way the human mind can have an influence not only in ourselves, but also uh, in the physical world that we inhabit. Like, for example, everybody has heard of the phenomenon known as stigmata. This is something that is very common among uh, Catholic saints, like uh, St. Francis of Assisi. I think he was the first known uh, saint or mystic who after having like a, a vision, like, and actually if you, if you read the accounts and, and if you see the way that is being depicted in art, uh, Diana Pasulka, you know, has, has shown this to, to her students and they say, well, this is a UFO event. You know, some guys mm-hmm. saw something in the sky and, and, and this something in the sky shut down some kind of like ray into, into, into him. And after that, some some uh, wounds started to manifest in his body, wounds that are purportedly mimicking the wounds inflicted to Christ when he w- w- uh, died on the cross. You know, the nails that uh, pierced through his hands and through his ankles and also the wound in his chest and, and in his uh, forehead when he was uh, put the, the crown of thorns. Interestingly enough, now we know that the ancient Romans didn't actually uh, conduct uh, execution by crucifixion in in that particular manner. Like, if you are going to hang uh, an adult on a a cross, on a wooden cross, you don't uh, pierce and the nail through uh, the bones of the palm because these are too fragile, too brittle. They wouldn't be able to withstand the full uh, uh, weight of the body. 
it's better to do it here, hmm. you know. But nevertheless, the 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 wounds of the stigmata people appear more often here. So what I'm going with that is that this is this is one example of the incredible power of the human mind in our bodies. And now that we're talking about the stigmata, what let's talk about something like alien implants. What if alien implants are a form of a stigmata, are, are some kind of like manifestation that, that the body produces, some kind of like foreign object that is just the product of one's strong belief that you were abducted by aliens and the aliens left something within your body, you know? Maybe the same way that the body is capable of rupturing the skin and the blood vessels to create this wound in the form of the wound of Christ. Maybe you, you also get to, to create some kind of like foreign object uh, in your arms or, you know, in your earlobe, whatever. Uh, but not only that, because people, skeptics will say, yeah, yeah, well, we know about that, we know about the placebo effect and all that, but that doesn't explain UFOs. Well, Maybe it does. Uh, another wonderful example of this is the Philip experiment that happened in the 1970s in Canada. These parapsychologists, they wanted to, to create a fake ghost, you know, and in order to do that, they, they created a very elaborate backstory of this totally fictitious person that in their experiment was going to be the, the ghost they were going to contact a, 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 a man by the name of Philip who lived hundreds of years ago in England or something to that effect. And they even created a, a, a fake portrait of him. And they started to have these uh, like seances, you know, fake seances uh, in order to try to see if something happened. And at, at first, they weren't having a lot of success, but they persisted, they changed a bit. They started to make it look more like a traditional sense, like lighting the candles in a dark room or something like that. They started to use the rituals, you know, in order to fake their own minds into getting into this attitude. And that's when they started to get tangible results, like the table started to, you know, jump and down and levitate and, and they started to, to poltergeist-like activity, you know, that is, and how do you, how do you explain that, you know, that's something that shows that the human mind is more powerful than we give it any credit to, and it, and it's fascinating how if you go into the, the study, the history of remote viewing, SRI, and all the people who got involved with it, a lot of those people also reported having UFO experiences on, of their own. You know, And there was even people like uh, Ted Owens, the PK man. So he, he was someone who was investigated by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlov, who is an American parapsychologist, has a wonderful uh, YouTube channel, uh, New Thinking Aloud, that I highly recommend. Uh, and he investigated uh, Ted Owens, you know, and, and he uh, confirmed that many of the things that, he, that this person claimed happened, you know, when he predicted 
you know, UFO activity that will happen on a certain area and a given time. And yeah, people reported UFO sightings. So where he reported, he, he claimed that he will use his contact with alien intelligences in order to bring uh, rain in a, in an area that was stricken by drought. And yeah, you know, uh, rain levels began, began to increase in that, in that given area, you know, so, and Mishlop doesn't really believe that he was in contact with, with ETs or aliens, but he thinks that, that it was kind of like the, the fantasy that Ted Owens had to use on, to trick himself in order to actually manifest this, uh, psychic activity, macro psychic activity that to an outside person, it will be indistinguishable from real quote-unquote UFO activity. And then, obviously, it begs the question, what is real UFO activity? And what what is, is it something that's come from outside of us, you know, that is controlled by an outside intelligence? Or is it something that is actually, we are tricking ourselves, you know, just we don't, we just don't know it. Terence McKenna famously said that, the modern man is so detached from his soul that when you encounter your soul, you think you're having an alien encounter. And that is something oh, wow. that I think about constantly, like saying, well, what if the other that we think that we are trying to get in contact with is just another aspect of ourselves that is so detached from our modern way of living that whenever we encounter it, we think it's from outer space. Right. Well, I mean, you even have this quote in the essay, and I loved this quote. Um, you kind of started the essay with this. A disc once presumed to serve as a vehicle for transversing outer space became a mirror for surveying inner space, which is beautiful. I, I mean, it, it, it kind of, that really resonated with me because I think it, it touches on what you were just saying. Like, how much are we the phenomena that we're trying to pursue, that we're trying to unravel? And, um, oh man, you bring up so many good points. A lot of what you said reminded me of like, you know, Kenneth Arnold, even, you know, a misquote in a newspaper, having seen quote unquote flying saucers, when in reality, that's not even what he really saw. Uh, everyone after that started seeing flying saucers. So I guess, you know, you could take something like that, or you could take the idea of crop circles. I think you touched on this mm. in the essay as well. You know, while they might be man-made, um, the the intelligence behind it, or whatever is kind of pulling the strings to make that happen, could be something non-human. Could be some sort of external yeah. force, or um, done through consciousness, that's creating these extremely elaborate designs in the crops. Um, even to, like you said in the essay, to the dismay of the actual crop owners. But, but yeah, kind of this, yeah. this idea of, you know, manifesting the phenomena in, in some ways. Um, do you think there's anything to that in terms of those kind of analogies I brought up there? The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but... If you would like to help support the show, 
we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhereskies. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. More and more, I keep thinking, and this is not something that I'm the only one who thinks that way, but like when it comes, for example, to things like uh, UFO hoaxes, you know, like obviously people who believe in UFOs, they hate the idea of, you know, uh, jokesters or, or conmen hoaxing. UFO videos or UFO photographs because they say, oh, well, this is a distraction and it, it undermines the the credibility or the validity of the UFO phenomenon. And I underst- I can understand that, but at the same time, nowadays, I, I, I suspect more and more that hoaxes have a role to play in all of these, whether we like it or not. A complex very controversial and very, very difficult, very, very murky role, but a, a role nonetheless. It's almost like <laughs> like UFO hoaxers are some kind of like ufological placebo effect. You know, like what happens if a, if a UFO hoax actually manifests uh, true anomalous activity? What happens if, a, if someone... Is driving and he, he sees something in the sky. He cannot explain it. That is a, a, a life-changing experience to them. Uh, and maybe you know, ten years from now, they real they realize, oh, it was just a drone, or it was just you know, a SpaceX rocket launch. But nevertheless, maybe it actually triggers something in them. You know, opens up something, cracks open the cosmic egg within them to be open to the magic or to release the magic within them, you know? So 
the crop circles, obviously, hoaxes made by 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 people for whatever reason. But I cannot deny that maybe people who who have been in contact with crop circles may have had uh, life changing experiences. You know, like incredible synchronicities, dreams, uh, visions. Or even actual manifestations of, of of anomalous light phenomena or time dilations, things that are common, commonly reported among crop circles, and, and crop circles that someone you know did with a plank uh, right. a few hours ago, but nevertheless actually creates creates the, the the magic, and and this is something that we have to remember. Like sh- even shamans, shamans are are professional tricksters, you know, like uh, anthropologists who went to to see and interview Maria Sabina, who was this uh, Mazatec shaman woman from Mexico who lived in Oaxaca and who who was the one who showed the the American foreigners the the thing about psilocybin mushrooms. You know, this is the thing that kick-started the whole counterculture movement in the 1960s you know when when uh, there was this momentous article in times magazine about these these ritual sacred rituals who were secret rituals you know because this tradition was kept alive in mexico for hundreds of years away from the eyes of the church otherwise you know the inquisition would have gone after you know these practitioners but in the 1960s, Maria Sabina said, well, you know, I had a vision of Jesus Christ who said the time was right for foreigners or for outsiders to know about our sacred rituals. And this is like, boom, the beginning of the new age, the hippie movement, the counterculture, you know, uh, Timothy Leary, the Beatles, we, we wouldn't have had the Beatles if, we, if it wasn't for Maria Sabina. It's just what I'm saying, you know. Maria Sabina, most influential Mexican woman in the history of the world, period. But getting back to uh, Maria Sabina, you know, anthropologists went to, to, to interview her and they noticed how they, she performed her, her rituals. And, and she, they realized that, like, any shaman she commonly used sleight of hand tricks, you know, often among, among uh, her audience, you know, like for example, like how to, she put the candles on the, on the ground uh, in order to, to uh, make them look like she could instantly put them uh, in the ground. Whereas ask another person to do it and and, uh, the candles weren't properly uh, prepared. So, they will fall and they will, it will show that, oh, Maria, you know, has some kind of like authority or has some kind of power. And that kind of like uh, suggestion is very important in shamanic rituals in order for the, the patient to get in this conducive state, in this right state of mind in which they can heal themselves. Because that's the thing about shamanism, you know, so that's the thing about shamanistic ritual practices the shaman is not healing the person the person is healing themselves by allowing themselves to enter into this mind space 
And obviously the question is, will we be able to actually do that, do the same if we didn't need to trick ourselves into using rituals and things and just using the power of our, our minds? Well, that's the basics of uh, chaos magic that became so predominant in the 80s, you know, when when all these uh, people in the counterculture, they said, well, you know, all these stupid rituals in, in traditional magic, let's just get rid of that and let's just, you know, come up with our own uh, practice and our own ways because at the end of the day, it's, it's only here that that the magic happens is not in the in the in the in the wand or in the robes or in the candles or in the in the in the incantations that set, that are said in Latin or in Okian or whatever you know you can say that you can use a, a you know a Beatles song you know as a as a magic incantation and if you believe in it it, it works the same uh, so yeah I don't know I think that. Uh, Getting back to hoaxes, uh, one of my favorite cases uh, happened in, in the 1960s through the 1970s and 80s in countries like Spain and Latin America is the, the famous UMO affair. Uh, to people who don't know about UMO, uh, a lot of researchers and, and reporters started to get, to get in the mail all these type typewritten letters that were allegedly sent by extraterrestrial visitors coming from the planet Umo and giving a lot of really detailed, scientifically sounding uh, explanations about their technology, their homeworld, their customs, whatever. And a lot of people believe that that's, this was actual contact, you know, with... Uh, an alien presence in our planet, you know, and, and a, a lot of people believed in, in, in the UMO thing. Even Jacques Vallée investigated, even though he never believed it, he, he thought it was some kind of like uh, maybe counter espionage or PSYOP experiment. Anyway, in the 1990s uh, or early 2000s, it was revealed, but it was, you know, that the, the letters were written by, by these uh, Spanish guy whose name escapes me right now. But anyway, the letters were a host. But nevertheless, uh, if you look into the history of, of, of UFO sightings, there's been a lot of UFO sightings with that same famous UMO symbol that looks like two uh, ellipses or parentheses right? like uh, are uh, in opposition and there's a, a line uh, traversing them. Even the famous Voronezh, case that happened in 1980, I want to say 1989, in, in, in so the Soviet Union, before the fall of the, of the Berlin Wall, all these kids were, were, were making drawings and they were putting that UMO symbol, you know? So what's going on there? You know, are you saying that well, either the KGB was behind the, the, the UMO affair, the UMO hoax in, in Spain, and they were also behind the, the, this hoax in, in, in Voronezh, or there was some, something going on, you know, and, and, and this is something that even Valet was wondering, what's going on? We, we know this is fake, and yet we're still seeing the same symbol in genuine cases. And hmm. I even wonder, you know, you, will you be able to, if you put some kind of like fake element in, in, a, in a UFO story that is believed enough by a, a sufficient people, will you be able to manifest 
UFO activity using those same symbols, you know. Uh, it's something that, 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 I, that I think about that constantly. And I don't know the answer, but I suspect that, you know, the answer is yes, that even if, if it's not something that, that it is totally manifested by the human mind, it's like some kind of like egregore or something, or like a tulpa, collective tulpa, maybe the UFO phenomenon will still use that energy from our minds in order to kind of like disguise itself with it mm-hmm. in a way like, well, this is what you want to see for some reason, you know, so let's use this, this disguise, this, this, this visage, this avatar in order to interact with you. Uh, so you don't, you don't, uh, you don't get uh, too overwhelmed by our presence. You know, Terrence McKenna, used to say a lot that the, the UFO phenomenon was nothing but uh, the mushrooms trying to contact us and the mushrooms using the, the, the disguise of an alien invasion so as to not to alarm us too much, you know? <laughs> so obviously all these things that we're saying are contradictory, you know, but they're just a, a speculation. They're just thought experiments, but it's the kind of stuff that I prefer to think about rather than saying, well, you know, UFOs are either ET craft or military spy planes, or they are just, you know, total hoaxes and are total, you know, fabrications and and delusions. That's, to me, that's too binary. Obviously, you know, no one denies that the, 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 the United States and other governments have uh, prototypes that they're not telling us. But I've always doubted that such prototypes will be as as ba- advanced than that they will, you know, sh- look and, and display the same capabilities that are have been reported in UFO cases since the 1940s, since the 1950s, or even before the, the beginning of the modern UFO era, you know, if you if you take a look at Wonders in the Sky, written by Chris Hobbeck and and, and Valet, you know, mm-hmm. all the stories about you know the the, the airship in the ni- 1890s in, in the United States, or or you know the shields in the sky that were seen by the Romans or by the Persians, or glowing objects that were you know coming out of the oceans that were seen by by merchant ships in the 18th century, you know, obviously that's, that's not a, that's not a U.S. prototype, you know, it's something else. Yeah. Kind of the, the absurdist nature or the ridiculousness, I think of a lot of these things too, really begs the question of, um, yeah, yeah. Are we dealing with some sort of, uh, uh, outside external thing or, or is it all, being manifested through manipulation or, or deception, you know, um, the more you're, you're talking about like the role of a shaman, the more I'm thinking like, Oh my God, is, is Miguel saying that Stephen Greer is a shaman? This guy who, you know, predicates <laughs> his entire kind well, of yeah. career on CE five. And is it real or it, or isn't yeah. it? Um, or, is it something that's not real that then becomes real? So yeah, it's, you're blowing my mind, man. This idea of like, 
Yeah, could I mean, could our our there's there's there yeah. Right, and, and and getting back to your career, you know, there are a lot of shamans in the Amazon jungles who are also assholes, you know, who are also <laughs> seeking to take advantage of you, you know, and, and, and steal your money and maybe even kill you if, if it suits their needs. You know, there, there, there are people who use their powers for good and there are people who use their powers for personal personal gain. And I'm not saying, you know, Greer is doing that, but I'll... I'll 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 leave that for everyone to 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 answer that. Uh, but obviously, obviously, uh, I, I've I've discussed this idea with friends when we discussed uh, CE five type of uh, protocols, and even people who can't stand Stephen Greer, they will go and admit, well, yeah, but the protocols do work, you know. And you do use them correctly and do use them on the right set and setting. I've also, you know, written and, and speculated about how, how similar are the UFO experience to psychedelic experience. You know, it's a whole mm-hmm. other kind of like I, I wonder, should there be a proper set and setting for UFO events so that you, you don't end up you don't end up with a bad trip like what happens in Skinwalker Ranch, you know? Maybe they, right. they, they haven't figured out the, the proper set and setting there. But yeah, if you if you use these types of uh, protocols, and they weren't invented by Greer, you know, they have been used for hundreds of years by by magicians and by mystery schools in order to obtain this, you know, contact. Contact with what is 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 the question? Is it contact with Contact with our higher self, with with an aspect of our soul, or is it contact with actual outside intelligences? You know that are using our minds as some kind of like interface, nonetheless. You know, like uh, some other as- aspect of our imagination. So now you know we're talking about imaginal experiences. You know, experiences that are colored by our expectations are colored by our cultural baggage, by our knowledge or our sci-fi lore. And it is somehow, you know, covered in that patina of, you know, mental imagery in order to interact with us. Otherwise, if, if, if we didn't have that, it might be totally incomprehensible, you know? Right could be the only way in which to communicate as well right. yeah good yeah. good point um well hey man i kind of want to i want to wrap up um our section here on anarchy and the ufo because mm-hmm. i got some awesome listener questions that came in for you um mm-hmm. and the the last one i want to kind of cover for you personally uh here is this quote from the essay the cliched saucer on the white house lawn take me to your leader scenario clearly holds no appeal for the ufo intelligence instead they give cardboard tasting pancakes to a lonely chicken farmer in wisconsin instead of gathering genetic samples from the most prominent members of our species such as albert einstein or stephen hawking these space vegetarians rely on medieval methods to to conduct husbandry with brazilian farmers while collecting sperm and ova from post office employees, Christian housewives, and horror novelists. 
That was probably my favorite paragraph in the whole essay <laughs> because it, it speaks volumes of everyone wants to know why me? You know, I, I speak to hundreds and hundreds of experiencers and, and witnesses, and that's their first question. Like, why why was I chosen? Like, I I don't believe in this stuff, but it just fell into my mm-hmm. lap. Um, or, you know, why don't they go show themselves to uh, Avi Loeb or, or, or right. you know, all of these theoretical physicists who push against the concept of this stuff? Uh, no, they, they go to a lonely chicken farmer and um, give him some, some goddamn pancakes. Why do you think that is? Why do you think uh, the phenomena chooses these individuals or do they choose them? You know, going back to Greg's whole co-creation hypothesis as well. Yeah, well, back in back in the time when I wrote the essay, I was very, very big on the idea that what was happening here is some kind of uh, grassroots type of contact, like the best and most or most efficient way to change a culture is not from the top down, you know, like trickle down, uh, trickle down doesn't work. For anything, not even economics, you know. That's that's why we're in the mess we're right now in our world right. because of this believing trickle down economics. No, the real changes, the the last the the long lasting changes happen from the bottom up. This it happened with Christianity. Christianity, as Ernest McKenna also famously said in his lectures, was a religion that appended. The, the most powerful empire in the world, the Roman Empire, because it captivated a stable voice uh, and, you know, and, and, and the peasants and, you know, the, the, the workers, you know, the, the people at the, at the bottom of the, of the societal status were the ones first captivated by... by by the appeal of Christianity, and uh, it it took a while, obviously, it took hundreds of years, but at the end, uh, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And you can see a parallel with with UFOs and the contactee movement in the 1950s, you know? Like, the contactees were housewives, were... Uh, people like George Adamski. George Adamski was flipping burgers, you know, in some joint near Palomar Observatory. And he called himself a professor in, in, in philosophy, but that was just a made-up title he made for himself in order to sound more grandiloquent and to be taken seriously. But nevertheless, you know, I mean, what I, what I love about the contactee movement, what, which I see as a precursor to the New Age movement that happened 20 years later, is that it, it was like, you know, all these common folk who claimed all these experiences with the other and they were trying to transform society, you know, from the from the bottom up, like saying, yeah, well, we need to take care of, better care of our planet. We need to stop uh, spending so much energy in, in war. We need to stop, you know, making nuclear weapons, uh we need to change our economic system. You know, back in those days, there were there were all these uh, economic ideas ca- coming from people like Gabriel Green and all that, trying to come up with better solutions to economy than capitalism or socialism. 
and that is uh, and that is something that that fascinated me. How even though I no longer believe that the UFO phenomenon doesn't happen to also to people on the top of the societal pyramid, how could it? You know, it's it's so egalitarian, and obviously. If there are people in the government that are interested in the UFO phenomenon, it's because they have had experiences of their own. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the the thing is that they are better at hiding them or, or not talk, not not being you know open about them. Same way with uh, you know psychedelic experiences. You know, like you know only hippies uh, are are comfortable talking about you know their LSD trips. Instead of you know the the high paying uh, stock investor in Wall Street, you know because the stock investor says that he knows that if he talks about that he'll be out of his job. Right. But nevertheless, you know the people who talk about this and the people who who create an interest are the ones that are that are changing the culture and our culture. If if we analyze it, has changed dramatically in the last. You know, 50 years. It looks like a long, long time to us, obviously, especially to people who are waiting for disclosure to happen like uh, next month. You know, they've been waiting for disclosure since 2017, you know, and the old, gr- the graybeards like us uh, keep it's never happened. If it does happen, it's going to, it's, it's, this is a marathon, you know, this is not a, a hundred meter race, you know, take a breather, you know. Keep your pace, uh, but it is slowly changing. You know, I, I I think it's undeniable. You know, like uh, nowadays everybody knows what a UFO is. You know, under, understand the acronym. There's not a country in the world the world that doesn't understand that the, that those you three letters, you know, signify some kind of like uh, alien presence, and and. Everybody now is open to the idea of of be, be life being outside, you know, the planet. And nowadays, we are seeing in our culture, in our science fiction, we are seeing uh, the eruption of these other noble ideas. The idea of the multiverse. The multiverse is getting more and more predominant in sci-fi culture. You know, the Spider Verse. Everything, anywhere, all at once. So many other movies in, 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 in the Quantumania, in like in like the idea that oh yeah, there's all these other worlds and they're all, all an infinite versions of you out there. Uh, so these things slowly but surely change the culture. You know, even even if you don't, and this is something that I think I even wrote in the in the essay. Even if you think that UFOs are total baloney, that are totally fictitious. There's no denying that UFOs have a huge influence on, on our culture from the point of view of, of only from a, a meme standpoint, you know, the idea of the little flying saucer, like uh, sucking the cow with a tractor vein, you know, that's something that people, you don't need to explain that, that drawing to to someone in in, in, in in passing on the street. Maybe five hundred years from now, it will be as inscrutable as a as a as a painting in in a medieval in, in a medieval painting, or maybe right. 
you know, 15,000 years from now, you will see that and it will be as difficult to understand as a cave painting, you know? Yeah. But this is, in, in our culture right now, UFOs are taking more and more a predominant, uh, a, a very center role. And it's fascinating, you know, to see where will that lead us. Maybe we'll fizzle out, you know, maybe the interest will, will start to wane or maybe things will start to ramp up. And I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, when the next wave of UFO activity will start. That, that's something that, I, that, that is strangely lacking nowadays. I was expecting a uh, New, York, New York article broke. I was thinking, well, will, will that have a, will this have an effect on on UFO reports? I guess it did in in among the military, right, and among civilian pilots. Definitely, they are they having uh, they are less afraid to report that they saw something weird in the sky that may or may not be truly anomalous. Some people say, well, they're just say, seeing the Starlink satellites up there beyond above their above their planes or maybe this is something truly anomalous we don't know but it's a good thing that the the stigma in those regards is starting to lift but at the same time i want to see like everyday people also reporting uh more ufo sightings the problem is who are they going to report it to? Are they going to report it to to the stars as Tom DeLong wanted? You know, he wanted to create this app that will be like the, the go-to uh, thing to report your sighting and to data, data mine all that information, you know, obviously for their benefit. You know, maybe they wanted to create some kind of like uh, UFO version of ChatGPT, you know, ChatGPT and all these AI systems that are, you know, funneling all this uh, online information, you know, to train the algorithm and, and to make it smarter and smarter. Maybe maybe Tom DeLonge wanted to make the same thing and predict, like, the next UFO wave using that. I don't know. I'm speculating here. But, yeah, nevertheless, getting back to my idea, I don't see, I don't see a flurry of UFO activity reported by everyday people nowadays, mm-hmm. and that is... That is interesting. It's intriguing to me. I don't know why. Why? Maybe people are too preoccupied with other stuff. We had the pandemic and people were inside their homes, you know, most of the time. Uh, and people now are, are uh, doing other stuff. But I want to see when the next UFO wave will happen, where, and, and how will that, you know, affect the 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 current momentum that we're having uh culturally yeah absolutely man well it's happening right now come on miguel in the united states in canada it's happening the balloons they're invading (laughs) (laughs) no i i'm with you man i i i and that was actually one of my questions for that's one of our listener questions actually Mm. for you is um Monica on Patreon asks, so I'll move over to these, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Our patrons get priority to ask our guests questions first. She wants to know, um, why do you think it is? I, uh, th- this plays right into this. Why do you think it is we don't hear so much uh, primarily about alien abductions any longer? You, like, never hear about reports of these things. 
Um, and that also plays into what you just said. We don't hear a lot of civilian uh, witness testimony anymore. Um, you know, that's that's my big thing here is getting people to tell their stories. And I will say it becomes harder and harder when you would think that it would become easier and easier nowadays. So, um, yeah, um, to to kind of right. piggyback off of Monica there, why do you think it is we don't hear so much about abductions anymore or even just flying saucers? Right. Uh, with abductions, it's a, it's an interesting question. And this is something that even, I even wrote in an introduction for Mike Leland's uh, book. He released uh, uh, a book to mark the 10th anniversary of his blog, Hidden Experience. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike has... You know, he's, he's his worst uh, skeptic. You know, he's been going back and forth, whether trying to ascertain whether he has had true UFO experiences or even abduction experiences. Uh, but he's been very reticent to, you know, even believe in his, in his own memories, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, but one thing that, that that was clear to me when I was following his blog and I was seeing the responses he got from his uh, postings and also how he got in contact with other people who were also sharing their own personal experiences uh, on the internet is that these people no longer need... Uh, the middleman, as it were, in order to share their stories to the world. By middleman, I'm referring to people like Bob Hopkins or David Jacobs, you know, like the the, the UFO investigator who will contact the experiencer of the abductee. Maybe they have some kind of like a counseling circle like Bob did, and that's how he managed to gather these stories, collect them, filter them, through their own bias and their own opinions of what the phenomenon should and shouldn't do, and put them in a book like Intruders, Missing Time, Silent Invasion, whatever. So maybe the reason why we are are no longer seeing those kind of books in the market is because the experiencers, they're no longer reaching to people like Bob Hopkins or David Jacobs or their successors. They are just sharing their stories online with like-minded people through their blogs or through their TikToks or through their podcasts, whatever. Uh, and, and, and they have that uh, outlet, they, that creative outlet that they needed in order to not keep that experience bottled inside of them and, and festering inside of them. So maybe that's one of the reasons why we we don't hear so much about abductions because you know we have we had this major cultural shift through the arrival of the internet through the arrival of personal blogging through the arrival of podcasting so if you want if you want to learn about those stories you don't go to the your local Barnes and Nobles you subscribe to, to you know, a, a, a paranormal podcast on Spotify or to a YouTube channel, or you subscribe to someone's blog. I guess, well, I guess blogs are no longer that 
popular now in the days of social media and Twitter. Uh, but maybe that's one of the reasons. It's a it's a social technological explanation rather of oh well you know the aliens are no longer are no longer taking so many people and abducting them, which I, I cannot say that's not the case. You know, I, I've heard some people within those circles, you know, people who talk to to guys like Mike, Mike Leland, that the mission or the, the, the project like changed gears. Uh, they are no longer in the taking people and, and, and making the experiments phase. They are, are They are now in the standby phase. You know, mm-hmm. by standby is that uh, they're waiting for something to happen, maybe some catastrophe or maybe something that will trigger the second phase of the, the, the their their grand project, which is, I don't know what, you know, uh, your yeah. guess is as good as mine, but that's what some of those people believe, that maybe, you know, the aliens are now in another phase of their project, and they are no longer interested. You know, they 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 have all the they have all the hybrid babies they can you know they can get <laughs> or, or they can keep on their motherships. And now they're you know, I don't know. You know, maybe the, yeah. maybe the hybrids are now learning how to control all the teenage children who are having all these space rapes within the <laughs> within the motherships and trying to keep them from not you know crashing them on on a nasty right. or something. I don't know. I don't know. The, they're you know, they're watching TikTok, Miguel, and they're wondering, what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're, they're, yes, exactly. they're watching our YouTube channels and being like, oh, God, no. Okay. Yeah. Phase four, we're, we're terminating that. <laughs> Phase four is done. The yeah. Avengers are over. Yes. Um, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Well, I like that. Thank you for that. Um, here's another good one. Jake on Patreon asks, as an artist, Miguel, who are some of your favorite artists or ones that you draw inspiration from? It's a good question. Uh, well, Mike Cleland, and I, well, I, I keep saying this, uh, I, 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 I've said this before, but Mike Cleland is a huge inspiration uh, for me. Uh because Mike is a wonderful uh, cartoonist and illustrator. Aside from his uh, blog, Hidden Experience, he also had an, a separate blog he called Little Boing Marks. Good allusion to the the little like curves lines that sometimes you draw in order to depict movement. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen yeah. you know any kind of comic strip. So that's called, those are those are called the point marks and, and and Mike shared his art there. Among the art he shared there were the wonderful illustrations he created for Mactonus's posthumous book, the Crypto the Crypto Terrestrials. And the last illustration in that book is uh, Mac opening the doorway of his apartment uh, uh, to meet the other, you know, and it is a really powerful powerful uh, illustration you know he even put his little cats there you know uh, and that is the thing that inspired me when the time came to say yes to Greg Bishop's uh, request to illustrate his book it defies language it's a book we, that we 
that we did, I, I want to say 2015 or 2016, some, some, in some vicinity. And that's the first book cover that I created. So, you know, this whole career as an illustrator, as an illustrator, which I didn't have prior to, to, to it defies language prior to all that. It happened because of, of, of my client. Before that, I was doing other stuff. I was uh, an interior designer working for architects, you know, designing staircase, designing cabinets, designing bars, designing bathrooms, kitchens, all that stuff. It was, it was an interesting job. It was horribly in the sense of uh, stressful, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to, juggle a lot of things and you have a you know very tight schedules timetables uh budgets whatever but that was what that that is what i was doing for a living for you know 20 years uh, but also before that uh when i was a kid i wasn't into you know comic books like superman or batman much the thing that my mother uh got for me when i was like, little was these illustrating editions of uh, literature classics uh, that were published in the 1970s, you know, like uh, a comic book renditions of Dracula, Tom Sawyer, uh, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, Crime and Punishment, things like that. And these were actually done by a, bon a, a group of, obscure Philippine artists that no one knew about. Obviously, I guess, because uh, they were cheaper labor than if you commissioned this work, you know, for regular artists in the US or the UK. And one of those artists was a guy by the name of Nestor Redondo. You can look him up on, on Google. He was a Philippine artist who before that he was an architect and I guess he had to sh uh, switch careers, you know, uh, as a way to survive. But his artwork is fantastic. I've always loved it, the way that he, he created his lines with, I guess, with, with, with brushes and, and the texture that he, he created with that. It, it, it is, it is truly marvelous. You know, it's something that I tried to emulate. In, in some in some capacity with the own style that I created for the for the UFO tarot project you know I wanted to create something that looked a, a mixture between uh, old woodcutting uh, illustrations you know like in the they, they did in the uh, you know 1600s or something mm -hmm. and the modern you know pop culture pop pop art of uh, the comic era, you know, with the dot pat the half tone dot patterns and 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 different uh, almost like mangas, you know, the manga animation the manga illustrations that I like. I wanted to kind of like merge those those uh, traditions and create something that it looks kind of old but also kind of new. Uh, and also using a lot of uh, uh, very, very uh, defined uh, black uh, line art that trying to copy, you know, the way that Nestor Redondo did his illustrations, which is, you know, fantastic. You know, the way they, they, this guy was a master of 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 the of the pen and, and of the ink 
and he was a master of the way that he shaded his figures and using light and shadow in order to create an atmosphere and 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 yeah, definitely a, a big influence for me. Awesome. Well, that bleeds into kind of my last thing I wanted to cover with you, Miguel, is the mm-hmm. ufology tarot. Um, what is this project? You know, I, I was I had the honor of seeing a few of the um the very early samples along with a lot of your Kickstarter supporters over there as well, um, of the ufology tarot, and I was blown away, man. So um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about this project, how it came to be? And uh, yeah, kind of what what the purpose of it is. It, mm-hmm. It's so cool. Thank you. Well, uh, the project came about when a group of friends uh, got together. We organized these uh, weekly salons on Skype in order to, you know, as a salon does, you know, you you fool around, you chat, you share. Uh, you know, the latest gossip or scoop in, in ufology and also, you know, your, your personal things. And we were trying to come up with some kind of like project that we could tackle collectively uh, and do together. You know, we're, uh, this is very much in line with the idea that Greg Bishop has of being more attuned with the right brain, you know, when it comes to, to uh, approach the UFO phenomenon, is like what we're saying, you know, like so many people want to dissect UFOs with scientific tools and using analysis and try to put the UFO under a microscope. Okay, that's all well and good. But the UFO... You can also approach UFOs through creativity, through art, through music, you know. Some of the most interesting ideas about UFOs have come not from scientists, but from artists, you know, like David Bowie, you know, John Lennon. John Lennon also had a UFO sighting, by the way, in, on, on New York. You know, he saw, you know, a, a big UFO uh, uh, from his apartment. Same with David Bowie. Uh and we wanted to see if we could use that, those type of tools in order to make something interesting with regards to the Yovo phenomenon. But we were struggling with trying to come up with that, with what. And that's when Greg Bishop, uh, very nonchalantly, very casually, he said, well, you know, I've always had this fantasy, almost like a, you know, like a dream baseball project of... Uh, a tarot deck, but instead of using the typical, you know, archetypes, we will use people like Jacques Ballet and Santon Friedman and John Keel, you know? And the moment he said that, everybody said, well, that sounds so goddamn cool. You know, that's, you know, we want that, obviously, you know? And... I was. I also found it cool, but at the same time, I said like, "Oh fuck, they are gonna ask me to do it because I'm the <laughs> artist, and you know, none of these yeah. guys can draw, so you know, I'm gonna have to get the brunt <laughs> of the project." And at first, I, we were starting to fool around with it and say, "Well, you know, who will be the magician?" Oh well, the magician will be Jacques Vallée. And we were saying, "Like, of course, duh." 
Uh, yeah. Who will be the 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 what's the name of the other the, the you know the hangman? Who will be you know the the hermitage, the hermit? Oh, John Keel, ah, it's great. You know who will be the lovers? Well, you know Betty and Barney Hill. Starting to get these discussions and who will be where and why and what kind of imagery we could use. You know, using the Rider Waite Smith uh, deck as a starting point. Of, of but not trying to copy that exactly because we had among among the people in our group we have uh, uh, someone like Susan Demeter who is uh, a, a witch and who knows a lot about the history of tarot so she could explain to us you know what's the meaning behind uh, you know the cup in so and so card you know what is trying to represent and trying to find okay correlations between that and the history of ufology. And we were we were toying with that, and I was getting, like, the pressure, like, okay, you know, get going, you know, get cracking with this. And I was like, okay, you know, before I sign up to this, I need to do, like, one card to try to see if I, I'm up to this, you know. Otherwise, if it looks like crap, then, you know, forget about it, and let's think about someone else, something else to do. Yeah. And the first one I, that I did was uh, The Magician. Uh, and when I showed it to the guys, they were saying, no, this looks great, you know. We, you can do it, you know. And very naively, I said, well, yeah, I guess, you know, it, it'll, it, it wasn't so much of a hassle, you know. It, it, it didn't take a long of time Uh how how big a problem can it be, you know, to, to, to make 22 or 76 more of this, you know, very naively. Uh, I, I, I imagine that. Uh, and we kept doing this, you know, our, our salons every week. And I, I me trying to find uh, the extra time between commissions or between a, a regular day job that I still kept at the time. And trying to do this on my weekends or my time or, or my time off, but after you know six months or more, we only had like two more uh, cards to show, and we knew that uh, that this wasn't the right approach. You know, it will take forever. You know, it will take ten years to do the whole thing if we were going at this pace. So I. Uh, at one point, someone suggested, well, let's make some kind of like Kickstarter campaign so Miguel can focus all, only on the cards and and do nothing else. And, you know, to sustain himself, you know, we'll raise enough money so he can devote, you know, a year or, or, or more doing nothing but drawing the cards. And I was like, yeah, perfect. That sounds great to me, you know, hey. Having a whole year without worrying about uh, uh, where do I, do I have find a project to 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 get money and make sense meet, sign me up. It's the dream, uh, yeah. And obviously, right, that's a dream. But before the dream, we need to get real and really organize the the campaign. And the first thing that we realize is that okay, we need at least to show five cards just to show a proof of concept. So, you know, people realize, take us seriously and, and take the campaign seriously. So 
it was until I finished uh, the, the the five cars that I said to the guys, okay, my work is done. Now it's your now it's your turn to get working on the campaign and to figure out uh, you know prices and budget stuff and where we're going to print it in the states and, and you know the perks and all of that. Uh, and so they, the guys did that. We organized the campaign. We also showed the, 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 the cards to some people to get feedback. Greg even showed the card, the cards, the first card to Jacques, to Jacques Bollet himself, because in, in the back of our minds, we had this fear, you know, that if Valet thought it was a bad idea, then, you know, we might as well back away from it. <laughs> and yeah, at first, Valet, I think he said, well, you know, I, I don't think he he understood the project or what we were trying to do. Maybe he thought it was some kind of like, you know, just uh, fan art in some kind. Well, it is fan art, but uh, it was, uh, he didn't understand the level at which we wanted to to do this, this project. But Greg showed him the card and also told him that Jay Alehanek, was going to be in the cars, and and I think at the at the sound of that, Valet got really you know changed his mind and said, well that that that, that sounds interesting then, and he kind of got got his his blessing and also the blessing of people like Paul Heineck. you know we also showed Paul uh, Allen's uh, son uh, the card uh, that is the emperor that shows his father J. Allen Hanek. Uh, and the moment that uh, Greg showed him that card, I think that uh, I'm paraphrasing, but Paul says something like, "I don't know what that is, but I want it." You know, so we were getting this uh, encouragement, especially for me. It was important for me to get the, the encouragement of people and say, "Well, I, I, people people think my my work is not crap, so I I I, I, I can keep going with it." And we launched the campaign. It was more successful than we had ever dreamed of. We got almost twice the amount that we were going for, uh, which was, you know, great. And we officially started the campaign. We launched the campaign on Halloween of 2021, if I'm not mistaken. And after a month and a half, we had enough money uh, and and I started, you know, working on, on the project, and that was my life, you know, for a whole year, uh, for at least six hours a day, doing nothing but working on the cards, researching the cards, uh, finding references for the cards, polishing the cards, uh, and then also keeping with the salons every Sunday to keep talking about the next card that I was going to do. Uh, and it was a really interesting, uh, dynamic, uh, uh, fun, uh, sometimes a, a, a bit stressful experiences. Obviously, you know, the dead, as the deadline keeps getting closer and closer, the pressure keeps piling and piling. But I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was, it was really, it was a really, I want to say it was a magical experience for me because it was truly magical. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that. Uh, because of, of having had the chance to do this, but also 
because there were a lot of synchronicities that happened, not only to me, but to Greg and the others around the cards that are that have really gave me the impression that we were doing something very powerful indeed, that we were really doing something that is not just uh, some cute, you know, like collection, collector's item that is going to collect dust somewhere else. I, I really think that when people uh, finally get their hands on the cards and start really playing with the cards, I mean, I'm not saying that there's going to be like, a, you're going to have a, a, a close encounter of the third kind. I think, but I think that stuff is going to happen to the people who respect the cards, the people who use the cards uh, in their practice, or even to people who are not practicing magicians, but are, are nevertheless drawn to the cards for other reasons. And maybe they start, they, they, they begin a path of learning more about tarot, learning more about ufology, you know, learning more about who was Stanton Friedman, who was James McDonald, you know, who were the, you know, who was Bob Hopkins, who was John Mack, uh, who was people like uh, other people that were depicted in the cards. That is, that is our aspiration, you know, that is our hope. And uh, the first car, the first phase of the project was completed successfully. Uh, uh, and our hope is that in the future we can continue with the second phase, which is the minor arcana of the cards, because we have we only completed the major arcana, you know. Uh, in the people who know about tarot, you know, there are 22 cards that comprise the major arcana, and the other ones are the the, the, the major the major arcana. And obviously, there are so those are more cards to do. So we need to create a second campaign. We need to ask for more money. Obviously, we'll, I'll need to have a lot more time to complete it. Maybe we have to figure out something in order to break the project into different phases uh, uh, in order to, you know, show people instead of saying, well, you know, just wait five years until Miguel finishes the cards <laughs> and then I'll, we'll send you the, I'll send you your deck. We're, we're still trying to figure out that. And at the same time, we, we, we have received so many requests from people who didn't know about the campaign at first and who have seen the artwork and say, hey, where can I get one? Where, I, I, want, I want the cars. I, where can I purchase them? Purchase them? And we don't, we don't have a story yet. We don't know how we're going to do that. We don't know how we, we will be able to accommodate those people. Well, obviously, I'll be, I will be thrilled, you know, if, if I can sell, if I can sell 10,000 decks, you know, and, and live off, you live off of it, you know, for the next five years, you know, I will be the happiest. Uh, but we'll still need to figure that out, you know. We are artists and we are UFO researchers. We're definitely not UFO businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know. We don't know. We're, we're, we're figuring this out as we go along, people. You know, that's all. Yeah, that's, that's all I can say. It's a, it's a process, man. Well, and I know a lot of people will really look forward to that next campaign because I'm one of those people who I want my hands on the cards, and it's mm -hmm. they're they're amazing. Because for someone who who 
isn't into tarot, who never really gave it much thought, you know, I just admired the cards and looked at the fine detail um, of each card and each personality and each case history. And that's what I appreciated, whereas someone who's into tarot Mm -hmm. will appreciate that aspect of it. So I love this idea, this blend of like, kind of the occult and astrology and ufology, all of it kind of Mm -hmm. mixing together into this one artistic expression. And um, like you said, I think art has a lot to do with all of this um, in in terms of, you know, how art is created and, and and the mystery behind that Um, it is, it's, it's a mystery how we create. And I think that really does play into a Mm -hmm. lot of this as well. So dude, Take as long as you need. Everyone will wait patiently. <laughs> if we've learned anything in ufology, it's to be patient. Um, so, no. <laughs> that's that's exactly. amazing. Exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. If, if, I can only say that the, the, the cards will be ready before disclosure. That's the <laughs> only thing I can, you know, say with any... <laughs> any shred of confidence it will be here before the aliens land (laughs) i love it i love it man well hey you have been very gracious with your time so i do want to wrap this up but before i let you go um any last words miguel you want to give to um our viewers or our listeners you know we have a lot of new people coming into the field all the time younger people getting involved getting interested any words of advice for anyone out there just getting into this topic? Uh, yeah, I guess. And and I don't want to get cliche about it, but my advice to people who are just getting into, into the UFO stuff and may, may be like at a loss of where to go, what to do, what to read, who to listen to, who to who who you who to believe in, is uh, take it easy. You know, as cliche as it sounds, it's more about the journey than the destination. There were a lot of people who were smarter than you and I, who devoted the whole of their lives studying this thing. Some of those people are depicted in our cards because we wanted to honor that passion and that devotion. But those people went to their graves without ever finding the truth. And that may well very happen, happen to you. you know. Uh, and that's okay. Because, like I said, the, the UFOs reward people in different in a different way not by learning the the ultimate secret of the universe and life but by showing you new avenues of exploration like michael Leland often says if you start asking questions about ufos and after a few years, you start asking questions about the afterlife and God and the soul. You're probably doing it wrong because mm. UFOs is, in a way, the perfect uh, starter drug. You know, it's, 
like it's like you know some kind of like uh, cannabis for the brain. You start with with UFOs, but then <laughs> you you learn about uh, psychedelics. You learn about psychic phenomena. You learn about reincarnation. You learn about uh, ghost activity, poltergeist activity. You learn about Bigfoot. You learn about ancient civilizations. Uh, you learn about all this stuff, and th all this stuff. If you do it right, does, will enrich your life in, in ways that you cannot uh, glimpse right now if you're still in the starting point, you know? And this, this is, like I said, it's not about where the path will leave you. Quoting Carlos Castaneda and the book, the first word, book he wrote, The Teachings of Don Juan, all roads and all paths lead exactly the same to the same destination, which is nowhere. But the thing is to pick the path that works for you because it's the path that has a heart, the path in which you grow as a person, you grow uh, intellectually, you grow emotionally, you grow spiritually. And if you manage to find that in the UFO path, then enjoy the ride, man. You're going to have a blast. But if you're only trying to find the, the fast, the answers of why are UFOs? Where do they come from? What does the government know? Where are they going to tell us? That path is only going to bring you pain and misery. So find the reason where you're choosing this path See to it that it are the right reasons. And if they are, enjoy the ride and enjoy your path. That's beautiful, man. Wow. Hey, even as a seasoned researcher, I needed to hear that too. So thank you. Thank you so much. Wow. I, I can't think of a better way to sort of end it, Miguel. This has been an absolute honor, man. I think this is the conversation I've been waiting to have for a very long time here on Somewhere in the Sky. So uh, before I let you go and thank you again a million times, where can we find everything you're up to? And yeah, where can people follow your work? Well, first of all, uh, Ryan, this has been an absolute blast. I mean, we've been talking for two more than two hours and it's, you know, it's been an absolute uh, thrill we could just keep talking for two more hours and, you know, we will even, you know, finish all the topics, you know, that we have, we have in our minds. Uh, as for where, where can people find me? Obviously first, the first destination I always recommend the daily grail, dailygrail.com. Uh, I still write for the daily grail. I'll, I'll keep writing for the daily grail until, you know, Greg closes shop or kicks me out. Uh, and Daily Grail is one of the longest running uh, sites that deals with these sort of topics. And, is do and it does it in a very center-minded uh, approach that is neither uh, skeptical or, you know, totally uh, in the believer camp. We, we try to, to find what you know, Greg Bishop calls the excluded middle, which I think is always the right approach to take with these topics. And there's a lot of content you can find there. And also Greg Bishop, Greg Taylor, sorry, 
publishes uh, books with his editorial. He he was the one who republished Passport to Magonia, and he was also the one who uh, published things like uh, Adam Gorightly's Sorcerers, Books and Cooks. So also you would like to check that out, those books. I designed the, 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 the cover for Sorcerers, Books and Cooks, by the way. And if you want to check out uh, that kind of stuff, like my, my designs and, and, you know, personal musings, you can also check out, check out my personal website, absurdbydesign.com. And yeah, that's the, definitely the reason why I chose that name is because there is an absurdity within all of these and it seems to be purposely, you know, by design instead of just, you know, a fluke. So absorbedbydesign.com, check, check that out if you want. I'm, until, I'm still on Twitter until Elon Musk runs it to the ground, <laughs> you know. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. I think I'm also on Instagram, you know. So all those, all those social media that takes up all of our time and energy, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you can find me there. You're there, yep. Again, until until that day comes where the tarot deck is done and the alien invasion occurs, we'll be on social media for sure. <laughs> Miguel, exactly. red pill junkie, my friend, thank you. Thank you so much for this amazing conversation tonight on Summer in the Skies. My pleasure. Thank you. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.